Welcome to Volcano Watch. This is a weekly podcast to update you on the volcanic activity of the week. I'm one of your hosts, Alessandro Mozu. And I'm your other host, Corinne Jorgensen. We're PhD students at the University of Geneva. We study volcanoes and are here to give you all the hot volcano news. First, the weekly news, and then the focus of the week, which will be Tonga Part 2. So, let's go to it. It's January 25th at the time of recording, and here are your quick updates. This week was a pretty quiet week regarding the volcanic activity, so we're going to have a super quick update. This is also one of those weeks where Seven Kai's ash plumes are always undetectable. Sometimes it happens, and at the end of the week, we're able to detect something, and Seven Kai wins the American competition for the tallest plume, but this week is not the case. Oh. Seven Kaya tried with a 7.0 plume and at the last moment, but that was not enough. No, Corinne, that wasn't. The winner for the American competition is Senge this week uh, with a 7.3 kilometer uh, tall plume. And at the second place, we have Sabankaya and Nevado de Rus uh, with 7.0 tall eruptive plume. Apart from that, we saw also Ash Advisory from Fuego, Reventador, and Nevado de Xi'an. So, starting off in the Americas, Venus Volcano in Peru, the alert level has risen to 2 because of a possibility of a dome partial collapse. In particular, there are two walls, which are 1.2 and 1.4 kilometers high, respectively. On the southeastern flank, uh, there is risk of destabilization in case of eruption or heavy rainfall. The major risk associated is that of the production of a pyroclastic flow going down into the valley and threatening the populations living in Venus, Kerapi, Tonohaya, and San Miguel. Staying in the Americas, the effusive activity is decreasing at Halemahumahu Crater, uh, Kilauea, Hawaii. Uh, the lava lake level dropped uh, by about 10 meters this past Sunday. Activity continues at low levels at Popocatepetl, Mexico, where some gases and vapor venting has been detected during the past days. The effusive activity continues also at Wolf Volcano in Isabella Highland, Galapagos, but the lava flow seems to be slowing down. Effusive activity continues also at Pavlov in Alaska Peninsula, where the lava flow field is now 1.3 km long. The volcanoes has also caused a lahar due to the melted ice and snow. Uh, the lahar ran down into the valley for more than 4 km actually. Always at Pavlov, uh, together with the fusion of lava, we also have lava fountain activity, which is responsible for the formation of a small spatter cone. In Europe this week, there is your no news. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, but let's continue in Asia, where we saw ash advisories from Barren Island, uh, Sakurajima, Swanosajima, Samiro, Shivaluk, and the winner for the tallest plume in Asia this week is Shivaluk, uh, which is, is Russia in Asia? Who knows? Uh, and it had a plume that was 4.0 kilometers tall. In Asia, we also reported some strong explosion at Suanosajima in Rikyu Island, Japan, with the usual very dense plume production. Blocks have been thrown up to 600 meters away from the crater. And from Ambrim in Vanuatu, who we don't really hear from that often, there was an eruption with an ash plume up to 1.8 kilometers on January 24th. So, Thanks to our sources, uh, volcanodiscovery.com. Uh, and now, it's time for the focus. 
right, so on January 15th, 2022, there was a very big boom from Hunga Tonga Hunga Hapai, which was literally heard around half the world. We chatted about the eruption last week. This week, we will take a deeper look at the eruptive processes and a bit of the history of this volcano. Okay, so Hunga Tonga Hunga Hapai, which we might shorten to HTHH, I'm not sure if that's shorter or not, was slash is a volcanic island located in the South Pacific Ocean. It's north of New Zealand, east of Australia, and pretty close to Fiji. The island was slash is part of the Tongan archipelago, and it's located just 65 kilometers north of the country's main island, Tonga Tapu. As we know, on January 15, it wrapped. But now we have some updates stats on the eruption itself. We know now that the top of the plume was 600 kilometers in diameter, uh, which for the reference is almost the size of Britain, which is simply crazy. And there were 400,000 lightning events in the span of five hours, with half of them happening in one hour. This is really, really uh, unique. So the plume itself reached up to 35 kilometers, which is the highest it's been that we've seen a volcanic plume in modern times. But that was only for the main umbrella part of the plume. There's actually a small part of the plume which went even higher. It went up to 55 kilometers, and that is absolutely insane. The shock wave from the eruption replayed through clouds. P waves were recorded by many instruments, and in some cases picking up the P wave a second time as it arrived from the opposite direction. But even more insane is that there are reports from the Icelandic Meteorological Office where they have recorded a third lap of the shockwaves. That's super crazy. There are now estimates that the eruption had an equivalent of 10 megatons of TNT. And potentially this is one of the loudest eruptions since Krakatoa in 1883. So HTHH is a submarine volcano that is andesitic, basaltic andesitic uh, in composition, and is actually a caldera volcano. Hangatanga Hangahapai is part of the Tongan Arc, which is created by the Pacific Plate subducting beneath the Indo-Australian Plate. This arc has approximately 20 volcanic edifices as part of it, of which seven have had an eruption since 1770. The highland was the top of a submarine volcano, who extended for 2,000 meters from the bottom of the ocean. Before uh, 2014, only two small parts of the crater rim of the volcano emerged from the ocean, forming two small highlands, uh, Hunga Tonga and Hunga Hapai, respectively, and the accumulation of pyroclastic material following the eruption in 2014 had united the two highlands to form a single highland named Hunga Tonga Hunga Hapai. So, the Smithsonian Global Volcanism Program has listed five historical confirmed eruptions, one in 1912, 1937, 1988, 2009, and 2014-15. And four out of five of these eruptions are a VEI-2. Now, VEI is for short for the Volcanic Explosivity Index, and it's really greatly dependent on um, having explosive activity as well as the volume of material erupted and the height of the plume. This eruption from Hunga Tonga Hunga Hapai is estimated to be a VEI of 5. So this is much bigger than what we've seen in the last, you know, 20-30 years from Hunga Tonga Hunga Hapai. But these aren't the only eruption from this volcano. 
In 1040, 1180 CE uh, was the last caldera forming eruption at Tonga, which geologists can see evidence of finding a welded ignimbrite, which make up the island. The magma chamber beneath the island has been a focus actually of a recent study published in Lithos by Brenna et al. 2022. So this was published like a few weeks ago. They suggest a shallow storage reservoir at about five to eight kilometers of depth beneath the island. They suggest this based on mineral thermobarometry and crystals from the 2009 and the 2014-2015 eruption, as well on seismic velocity studies. They also suggest that from the crystal zoning of the 2009 and uh, the 2014-15 eruptions, uh, that there is a steady supply of primitive magma into a homogenized reservoir. But how did we get this eruption? As we discussed last week, there were many eruptions in December. What made the January 15th eruption different? And while we cannot say for certain, uh, we can wildly uh, speculate and bring you theories as the scientific community gets to work. A few ideas surrounding the eruption are centered around gas. Well, a water triggered eruption. Water expands a lot when it goes from a liquid to a gas. It can get up to 1,000 times bigger. So just imagine you have a bubble that has 100 meter radius and it evaporates. Evaporates, it makes a one kilometer radius bubble. That is a lot more space than it took up before. So this gas expansion can help us to understand what caused the tsunami as well. And we found this idea from Albert over at Volcano Cafe, and I suggest you check out their recent post for a longer explanation with nice videos and diagrams. It's really cool. But briefly, the idea is, let's say you have some water and you get it to exchange from a liquid to a gas rapidly. You get this to happen super duper fast, but the water can't quite move that fast to get out of the way, the other water that didn't vaporize. So the vaporized water gets to a point in trying to expand, but it gets pressure from the outside water that it collapses. And then it tries to expand again and collapses and expands again and collapses. And this is how you get the shock waves. That's why it's multiple waves. It's not just one. But the Hungatunga-Hungahapai explosion wasn't completely in the water. It reached the surface too. And the speed of the expansion exceeded the speed speed of sound in the air, and this is likely what actually caused the sonic boom, which was heard all the way in Alaska. Inter interestingly enough, though, there may have been some points close to the eruption that would not have actually heard the boom. This actually can happen with thunderstorms, too. There are sometimes shadow zones where the sound waves are reflected or bent. And this actually happened um, when Lewitt or St. Helens erupted in 1980. People 10 kilometers away from the mountain could not hear the boom. Going back to the bubble, when it breached the surface and the overpressure on the rim would have collapsed, and then the water could rush back into that space and the collision of all the water rushing in back into the space would cause a jet of water going to go back up into the air. And this is potentially what actually caused the tsunami. Going back to the actual eruption itself, to get this big boom, we also need a few things. See, if you hit water in an open system, it just evaporates into the atmosphere. And this is where the big eruption of January 14th comes into the play. This eruption destroyed the island. And by doing this, it let water into the conduit of the volcano. And perhaps some blocks and debris would also fall into the conduit and block it. So now you have a pressurized conduit 
that is filled with water. And because it's pressurized, this is gonna stop it from boiling. So you're gonna get superheated water. But eventually it'll get so hot that some of it will vaporize. And since water vapor is not really compressible, it increases the pressure until our conduit blockage is broken. Then this sudden drop in pressure vaporizes all of the water. It flashes into vapor and expands. This is where this a thousand times expansion really comes into play. Of course, they also envision the same process happening on a flank. We really recommend you to take a look at Volcano Cafe uh, explanation of this that is super cool. Okay, so the geology aspect aside, what's happening around the island now? Well, it's clear that this uh, eruption has really decimated the surrounding islands. On January 18th, satellite imagery showed over 41 houses destroyed and 63 covered in ash. And we know that there's extensive damage to the islands on Mango, Fonoifu, Nomokua, and Tongatapu. Evacuations for the smaller islands has happened and uh, the island of Ateta is completely submerged. The aerosol plume from the January 15 uh, eruptions reaches uh, East Africa on January 22nd. The death toll from the eruption um, and the corresponding tsunami is sadly now at five. Uh, we reported three last week. There are also an additional two people who were killed in Peru from the tsunami that reached there. The Tongan people are still reeling from what happened. Thankfully, some aid has arrived and communications are slowly coming back on. If you feel so inclined to help out, the Tongan flag bearer Pita Tafu Tufa has a GoFundMe campaign. One of their immediate goals is to get flour to the bakeries off the islands, as well as supplying uh, personal protection equipment and other food staples. We will link the campaign in our episode description and we'll send a tweet out about it as well. Thanks to our sources, uh, the Smithsonian Global Volcanism Project, Brenna et al. 2022, Volcano Cafe's post titled The Very Five Millennium Eruption of Hunga Tonga, and Robin Andrews' piece for Wired Magazine, and of course, VolcanoDiscovery.com, our heroes. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you guys next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye.